last chapters of Ephesians. We continue on our journey today through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, as Paul reflected on his mission and ministry, especially in the Gentile world, there were particular things that concerned him about what was going on in society that he thought was not healthy for society and especially not healthy for the church of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the first of those things that he asked us to make a break with the past and leave behind, and that principally was letting anger rule our lives in ways where it grows and grows and grows until it lashes out in destructive ways. And we talked last week how we see that in our lives every day in the shootings and the uh, arguments about pol politics and who's right and who's wrong and who's on the American side and who's not on the, you know, all that stuff. And it's just toxic in our culture. And uh, my prayer for me and for all of us is it will not be toxic in the faith community. And that was Paul's concern first. But then a second issue he had as he looked around was the issue of sexual brokenness. Sexual brokenness was a, a big concern in the ancient Roman world because kind of like our modern day world, uh, the, the Roman Empire's sexual ethic in many places uh, was not very healthy at all. It favored powerful men who could kind of be intimate with anyone they wanted and it didn't, uh, it kind of shamed women more than anything else, and just a whole host of ranges. And when Paul saw this, he called the church to be different. And that's the scripture we're going to look at today. And as we do, I'm going to try to tackle it in a way that, um, one, I want it to be helpful. Two, I want it to respect the authority of scripture. But three, I want it to be something that we can all wrestle with and learn from and grow from whether you 100% agree with my take on it or not but maybe it may be something that can help you or your family in your life situation so let's dig in and see what Paul says he says this in chapter 5 verse 1 follow God's example or, or I like the translation better it's a little more literal imitate God imitate God Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because of these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. Walk in the light, 
For the fruit of life consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And so this is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can you pray with me and for me? Come, Holy Spirit, I just pray for your help today. Lord Jesus, help me be truthful with what I say, that you might be glorified, and that your love might grow in our hearts for what you are doing, the gift of salvation in our life and world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, the last two weeks, we've been in one entire section. The section began in the middle of the fourth chapter, and it kind of ends sort of in the middle of the fifth chapter. And right smack in the middle is the challenge between the first part and the second part. And that challenge is, brothers and sisters, imitate God. If you want to live your best life, if you want... Uh, God in all his glory to shape you and mold you and, and help you live in this world as much like Jesus as possible, then your motivation, your call, your command, imitate God. And as you imitate God, there is one quality that will flow out of that more than any other quality. That quality is a heart that walks in love for the one who made them. And walks in love for their neighbor and walks in love for their enemy and walks in love with all. Their whole life, it's about learning to walk in love. And so in the first part, he talked about how to walk in love when anger gets in our way. Now in the second part, he talks about how do we walk in love when sexual brokenness gets in our way. Now, I don't think we have many kids in here. I'm going to try to keep this kind of between PG and PG-13, but I don't think we have any kids in here, so hopefully that should be fine. Okay. As Paul jumps into this section, he first mentions that there shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. We talked about that last week. Impurity is a reflection on his understanding of cleanliness versus uncleanliness spiritually. To be unclean and impure uh, separates us from God. Or of greed, and the literal word for greed there is covetousness. And the covetousness is that phrase in the Ten Commandments that means to be hungry for things outside of yourself, to want something somebody else has, to possess it for yourself even though you're not really supposed to have it. That's covetousness, but you could also describe it as greed. He says these are improper for God's holy people. And with this, he begins to paint a picture for us of the trouble and brokenness in our world that is caused by our sexual brokenness. And he sees it as a deep, deep problem. He saw it in sort of the, what he would call the licentious age of the Roman Empire. And many of us, we look around, we see it as much about today as it was 
2,000 years ago. And so he shares here, not a hint of sexual immorality is the first word he uses. I haven't talked about that one yet. That word is pornea. It's where we get our word for pornographic and pornography, uh, which is also uh, what we would say is a modern poison, more so now today than at any time in human history. It affects more of us today than any time in human history. Uh, but, but that's that word, pornea, and literally in, in the ancient Roman world, that first meant to go out and buy yourself some sexual pleasure, a person for sexual pleasure. That's what that word meant. When you do that, you are doing pornea. Now, by Paul's day, he had kind of generalized it, I believe, to a culture sexual ethic that, uh, that would have had a lot of, uh, would have resonated a lot with his heritage in the Jewish faith and what's found in the Pentateuch, which there is like a whole chapter's worth of what healthy sexual relationships look like and what unhealthy sexual relationships look like, all those kind of things. And in that, what the general conclusion of, the, of Paul has been the, in Jesus and the church has been is that is uh, faithfulness in marriage with a sexual relationship and when you're single, stay celibate. That's been kind of the, the pattern that has been expressed. And so Paul is saying anything kind of outside of that is in the boundaries of pornea. Now, of course, in our modern age and in the church and in the divisiveness in the church right now, we continue to sort of talk about what does that really mean in today's age and with all the so many things out there. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, but that's the general picture. And so what he says here is those who, are, who make this the identity of their fulfillment of their life, among these, there will be brokenness. Whether it's by act or whether it's by words, as he says, obscenity, foolish talk, worse joking, either way, he says all that's out of place instead it needs to be about thanksgiving. And then he goes on and says, no one who continues to live like this has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God. He says, instead, they have become, he says, let me see, because of this, they have become children of disobedience and also because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Okay? Now, this sounds really harsh, right? But I want to kind of clarify and make sure we get the right tone of what I believe Paul's talking about and what he's not talking about. So let me give you kind of some illustrations. First, two illustrations of what I don't think he's talking about. For instance, in a group this size, most likely, there are some of you that either as young people or maybe in later years, you have experienced some form of brokenness through sexual abuse. Statistics show one in four women. Statistics show about one in 11 men have gone through sexual abuse, right? And out of that abuse, oftentimes the person in your thoughts thinks things like, because of this, I'm not worthy of God's love. Because of this, I'm not worthy of, of healing and wholeness. Because of this, I must be one of these people that Paul is talking about. So my first word is, heck no, Okay? That's not your fault. That's not what Paul is talking about. And 
there is grace and love in Jesus Christ for you. Then the second thing that I want to talk about that is another illustration is all of us in our lives as we look at this and look at this high and holy standard of what it means to live in the light as God's children and walk in the light, um, all of us have moments where we blew it, where temptation got the best of us, where we feel ashamed about a choice we made or something we did or a thing we've done. And when we read these words, we might again say, well, that Paul's talking about me because I messed up in college or I messed up in high school or I messed up after my divorce or I messed up by getting a divorce or I messed up by marrying the guy in the first place or the woman in the, you know, whatever. And we begin to say, well, maybe this is what God means for me. And no, that's not what Paul's talking about. Brothers and sisters, what Paul is talking about here are people that make sexual brokenness their identity that they've done it in the past they're doing it in the present and they're going to keep on doing it into the future he says listen if that is your course in life then you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and kingdom of God if that is your course then God's wrath is on you right now as a disobedient child, but I believe what Paul is saying, God's wrath is on you right now as a disobedient child in the hope that you'll repent. And instead of making broken sexuality your identity, you'll begin to make the Lord Jesus your identity. Remember his call? Imitate who? Imitate God. And in the imitation of God, Jesus begins to heal us from the brokenness of our past, begins to heal us from the brokenness of our present, and begins to help us live in the light more and more, live in the light with ourselves, live in the light in our relationship with Jesus, live in the light with our family, live in the light with our friends, and have less things that we hide in the darkness that no one knows. That's what Paul, does that kind of make sense? If yes, say amen. Okay, okay. Now, good job, right? And so, what it, I mean, what I want you to understand is he's talking, when he talks about you may miss out on the kingdom of God, he's talking about over and over and over. He's talking about making a life of sinful habits, right? He's not just talking kind of a one-time deal. He's talking making, okay, we'll move on. So, so in the midst of this, there come some questions, I think, especially in this day and age, uh, in this generation. We live in a different generation than what I grew up in. When I grew up, you know, in the 80s, uh, most of us grew up, um, and my main question was, ooh, I think that girl's kind of cute, I don't even, but I don't have the courage to ask her out on a date. Or, you know, I, I think... I'd like to get to know that girl, or I, you know, I, I, I'm dating my uh, girlfriend, and, you know, should I kiss her? Should I hold her hands? Should I take her to prom? You know, all those were the main questions in my mind at that time, and maybe sometimes a little, a little deeper and a little more lustful, you know? Uh, but those were the questions. 
but brothers and sisters, today in our world, today with our kids, by the time they get to middle school, they're not asking those kind of questions anymore. And I know because I have kids, and I know because I've talked to some of you with children and grandchildren, by the time they get to middle school, they're not just asking, should I date a boy or should I date a girl? They're asking, what is my sexual identity? And those are questions that, that 95% of my generation did not really have to ask a whole lot. But they are now. And so I'm going to talk real serious about this today because I hope what I say might be helpful for your life and in your real world. Um, because as teenagers see things on TV and now even kind of on Disney and this sort of every, I mean, it's everywhere. We know it's everywhere. The question becomes, how do we raise our kids? And so these are my thoughts that if my children came to me, which they really haven't, but, uh, but you know, if they ever hear my sermons, they kind of get it anyway. But, but if my kids came to me and said, Dad, what do I do? I'm, I'm wrestling with my sexual identity. The first thing I'd probably say is, well, first, can I encourage you, let your default be that you're probably going to be attracted to someone of the opposite sex. Because 95% of the time in this world, statistics show that your default is going to be that you're going to be attracted to some. So if you're a boy, you're going to be attracted to girls. If you're a girl, you're going to be attracted to boys. 95% of the time, that's going to be the case. So I just want to encourage you as a middle schooler, let that be your default. Now, if as you go through puberty, if as you go through adolescence, and your body changes, and your heart changes, and your emotions change, and, and as things get stirred up, if your body at some point convinces you 100% that that doesn't work for you, then come and tell mom and I, or find some Christian, gracious people who you love and trust, and talk with them about how to navigate your way forward so that you can live in the light as God is in the light with where you are. That would be my answer. And one of the reasons why that would be my answer is this. Uh, I used to keep up with a ministry called Exodus International. Exodus International was led by two or three men who were married heterosexually, but who, they, they were honest, we have had same-sex attraction for a long time. We started this ministry to try to help people navigate their way as homosexual people, and in fact, sort of how to make them different. And a little over 10 years ago, Exodus International closed its doors and decided it could no longer remain open because they had found that the truth is is that for about 5% of the population, 5% uh, of us are just wired differently. And there's not really any changing of that. And so those 5% of people have to figure out how to live life in the light of the Lord for themselves and hopefully the help of the church of Jesus Christ. And so how do we help them do that? How do we help them do that? Um, one of the things that we start with is what I think is, is one of the most truthful verses in the New Testament, and it's actually one of the last words in the New Testament. That is one of the latest written. It comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter gives this insight, which we see in the Gospels, but not expressed in this way. 
but it says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not wanting who to perish? Anyone. Tell your, turn to your neighbor and say, anyone. All right, good. Not wanting anyone to perish, but turn to your neighbor and say, everyone. But everyone to come to repentance. Right? This is the heart of God. And it resonates with me. I am a uh, sinful, broken, uh, you know, sometimes okay husband. I've got four awesome kids. And as me as a dad, I can't say me as a broken, sinful dad, turning to my kids and say, three of you, you guys are going to turn out great. You're going to live in the light of the Lord. You're going to do awesome. You're going to be all that God wants you to be. And then I can't imagine turning to the fourth one and say, oh, sorry, you're just out of luck. You're in big trouble. You're headed for hell, and there's nothing you can do about it. As a dad, I would never in my life do that. I would never do that. So why in the world would some of us think that God would do that? God desires everyone to come to repentance. Now, does that mean everyone comes to repentance? No, because we do have the freedom to say yes to the Lord or no to the Lord, to, re to repent or not repent, to live in the light or live in the darkness. That's all the choice of human life. But God has given a lot of us, you know, uh, 15 years, 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, 90 years, so that hopefully in this lifetime, sometime along the way, even if we've been children of disobedience, even if we've been under God's wrath, even if we've been, uh, you know, sexually broken and unclean and, and craving for more, what Paul says is we've been idolaters, we've made our our sexual being or our sexual identity, the idol of our life. He says it's hopefully sometime along life's path, God will catch up to us and we will say yes to him in Jesus Christ and find forgiveness and let the past go and make our identity the Lord Jesus and not our sexual uh, craving and not our sexual identity. And so I think that's what Paul is all about. He's trying to call us to a higher place. Live in the light, as God is in the light. Walk in the light. Because that is what we are made for. And because of this, you know, I think, I think some of us out there, we look at our lives, and we know our lives are kind of a mess, and we feel a bit of shame. But we look at 5% of the population, and we say, well, at least, God, I'm not as bad as they are. I'm glad you might send them to hell and you're not going to send me to hell. And y'all, that's just flat out not fair. <laughs> that's flat out not fair. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but the mo a, a tremendous amount of the sexual pain in our world is heterosexual sexual pain. It's not the 5%. Most of it is a culture that has embraced the one-night stand or the hookup or the friends with benefits. Most of it is uh, let me have an affair to remember in the negative sense, unseen, while the wife is away or while the husband is away. Or 
you know, when I'm out on a business trip in the cover of night, I'm going to go seek solace in the house where I shouldn't be going in unfaithfulness to my spouse. Or I've given up on this relationship and it's time for a divorce. Or, worst of all, my children or my stepkids or my niece and my nephew, I'm going to take my sexual privilege out on them. Y'all, that, that is what makes God mad. Don't you think? The sexual trafficking, that's what God, makes God mad, don't you think? And yet we are burning with rage about the challenges of the other 5% and putting all the blame on them. It's all their fault that this world's going to hell. Heck no! It's on us! Don't you get it? It's on us! Own your own stuff. Let them own their own stuff. And let us as a family help them love one another. Know that in this place, God loves them too. They are beloved. They're called to walk in love. Jesus died on the cross for them. Well, I think everything I'm saying, my traditionalist friends in ministry or my progressive friends in ministry, I think we'd all agree. This isn't the issue. You know the issue we're squabbling about? We're squabbling about what does it mean to live in the light of the Lord for this 5% five, 5 group of people. I don't know, for me, I want to help them with that. But they're the ones living through it. I don't have that temptation. It's not fair for me to punish them for stuff that doesn't bother me. I have enough trouble keeping up with my own junk. Does that make sense? And y'all, those of you that have been around me know that when it comes to the Bible and comes to theology, I'm, I'm a traditionalist. But I tread graciously. Because I don't know everything. But I do know God loves people. I do know God saves people. And I do know that there will be in heaven people in that 5%. And some of them there will surprise you and will surprise me because we would not have expected that they would have been there. Because that's God's call. It's not my call. Um, and so today, what God calls us to is to let the light of Christ shine on us and make us new. Let the light of Christ shine on us and make us new. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christ helps us live in the light as he is in the light. Christ helps us do that. It's by grace we are saved. And so Christ helps us live in the light as he is in the light. This is a probably a baptismal recitation, something that they would say at baptism. We can't find it anywhere else 
in the ancient world, so we don't know if Paul came up with it or if somebody else came up with it. But the idea is that in baptism, you're a new person. The old life has passed away. You have every opportunity to live in God's presence, in the light. So do what pleases the Lord. Do the things that bear fruit of light, which is goodness and righteousness and truth. Do those things, because that's the main thing, to do what pleases the Lord. And so as a pastor, my job with those who are LGBTQ+, is to pray with them and talk with them and give them at least this vision of holiness. Listen, the church has been telling you you can't live in the light. The church has been telling you that God really doesn't love you. The church has been telling you all these things, but I'm here to tell you today, you can live in the light because God is in the light. You can be made holy, and I will do my best to help you wrestle with the good news of this book to figure that out. But I will leave it to you to make the ultimate decision of what that looks like because you're the one who has to struggle with things that I can't relate to. But I trust that the light of Christ can work in you just as much as he can work in me. And I hope you will. And so today, brothers and sisters, uh, that's why this is, uh, this is still a topic in our midst, I suppose. Um, because we live in a day and age that is much sexually broken as it was 2,000 years ago. But the healing doesn't start with others. The healing starts with you. Let the light of Christ shine in through your brokenness. And let God heal you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I pray today that your, just, your love and grace would lead us and guide us. Help us to think in healthier ways about the issue of sexual brokenness um, in ways that are honest and true and right, and in ways that will help us Learn to love one another a bit better and to love 5% of our population that thinks that we really hate them. Um, Lord, and I know most here would say that's not true, but that's what they feel. And so, Lord, have mercy on us. Let your light shine on us to perfect us in walking in love and walking in light, which Paul called us to. Because if we will walk in love and walk in light, then maybe the world might want to know Jesus more. And that would be a very good thing. And so, Lord, help us do that in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before we go to our closing hymn, and our altar is going to be open today, and I, I think our leadership board may come forward to pray for our time together this afternoon. But before all that, some of you are, I know are in, the, are in your pew saying, but Chris, what about A, B, C, D, and E? And F? You didn't mention any of that stuff. Well, that's why I'm doing a Bible study this fall to go as deeply as I can into all this stuff so that you can wrestle with it as much as I have wrestled with it in my lifetime. So everything I've wrestled with, I will lay out on the table for you, and I hope you'll find it helpful uh, 
and we will cover things that I don't know if I don't know you'll, if you'll find anywhere else um, because I've wrestled with this quite a bit. So anyway, that's where to go for that. So let's celebrate together and let's let this little light of 